ready to talk about Alfred J. Hitchcock? I don't know if that's really his initials. Yeah, I don't know what his middle initial is. I'm going to look it yeah. up. There was Alfred. a funny, uh, I don't know what this was from, but IGN like reposted it and it was like, it was an interview. Is it that, Hitchcock uh, related? No, it's Batman related. Oh, okay. That, um, that uh, Robert Pattinson was talking about Final Fantasy VII and like, how oh, yeah. I, it sounds like he's obsessed with that game and he's like, he's like explaining it to Zoe Kravitz. He's like, no, you don't understand. Cloud has, you know, he has these two girls. He's like, it's there's Athea or Aaliyah as it's sometimes mis uh, mistranslated to. And then he's like going over like all the things he's like, he's like, and she's a healer and you know, she heals things. Oh, they actually have like, video of it. He's just like in love with her. Like it's a full on like interview of him explaining to Zoe Kravitz why I'll send it to you. It's really funny of him just like being a nerd about final fantasy seven, like really hard. And she's just like, she's just doesn't care about any of this stuff. And he's like, he's like, it's a real nice love triangle but then there's the girl with the short skirt and you know when you're a kid you're like yeah i think i like that girl too and then she's like she does like one of those like this is the problem with people playing video games all you guys just want you know you're you're in it for the girl in the short skirt or something like that but it's it's fun. like the interviewer is just sitting there like staring at him like he has no clue why robert pattinson's like just wanting to talk about final fantasy 7 hey that's for no my reason. crew my crew up here is the final fantasy 7 crew it's funny. It's it the just exact, got, yeah. It's the exact triangle you're talking about. It, it, come, it comes out of nowhere. It seems like he just randomly just starts being like, being like, let me tell you about Final Fantasy VII. I I saw some memes about it, but I didn't know if it was a video or or what. Like I didn't yeah. know where he brought it up. It's just it's just a random interview that he did. So I'm very happy by guessing that Alfred J Hitchcock. I was right. Is it he John? is J. He's Joseph. Joseph. Okay. Sir Alfred. Joseph Hitchcock. KBE, what is that? That's what it means to be <gasps> Sir. That's the most the excellent like, order of the British yeah, Empire. There's like all different ones. Like I, I think there's like a CBE, a KBE. Like... <laughs> yeah, he's also known as the Master of Suspense. I don't know if you knew that. News to me. <laughs> all right, Chuck. It's me and you again, and we're discussing Alfred Hitchcock movies now, and that's how we're going into it, very bluntly. Yeah. How do you feel about just, that? Are you excited? Over the head with it. Are you excited about Alfred Hitchcock? I am pretty excited. Uh, you chose The Lady Vanishes, I think. That was your pick, right? I don't remember yeah. who picks anything anymore, I'm, but I felt that was one of the ones you picked. It was definitely one I suggested. I know I know for a fact the last two. I mean, I feel like we kind of agreed on all of these. Like this was <laughs> we one pretty of the ones much that, did, yeah. This is one of the ones that I feel like we both were just like pretty much naming these ones that we're, that we're going to be covering. Well, uh, that's where my... Uh, that's why the credit for us is just both of us on everything because yeah, I, I can't even remember. At this point, it's hard to remember. But Or there's uh, like one, but the other three could be very vague. I, I did... I did my re, uh like rewatch rewatch and slash first time watch for some of these films last year of Hitchcock while we were didn't have anything else to do since all the movie theaters were closed down couldn't really go see any new films so I was like you know what I should watch all 50 Alfred Hitchcock films and see what I like and these are all of the films that we're going to be talking about are in like well, I I ranked them all by by my favorites 
And these are all in my top 10 other than one of them, which is like, I don't know, number 13 or something like that. 13. That's 14. pretty good. Out of 53, so, so right? The, they were on the top 15. He has 53, but I think like only only 50 are like exist available. Like the that that very first one, two of his early ones are lost. And then before Lodger? two of the other ones are technically. Yeah, there's like there's at least two, I think. Uh, they're the probably like, like the ones like Mountain. He Eagle probably or destroyed something like them. That. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they were they were. I, and that's honestly what I would say of all of his films. We're hitting like kind of closer to the middle of his career for most of these films, which is his peak. And I felt like most of his most of the movies I didn't like from him were at the very end and the very beginning. Like I, other than other than uh, the Lodger, that was kind of like the one of the only silent ones of his that I really enjoyed a lot of those other ones are still i don't know definitely obvious that it's yeah, still him trying to figure out what he wants to do and like how he's trying to get his style that's that's the suspense one and then he does those that i think we have the same set where it's like those 20 films that are some of his early yeah, ones and like five dollars some of those ones are just like they're comedies which he's never been known at all for being comedy i mean he does have good he has good comedic elements in those films, like really, right. Like, He's better with a character moments. here or there. But like some of those other ones, like the Farmer's Wife or something like that, are like just full on comedies, and they're just not that. They just seem like very standard, like they could have been made by anybody. So, so those like are the some Lodger of the is I, the I one that films. kind of put him on the map as a director, I guess, yeah. within his own country. And even though. The Lady Vanishes, which is what we're going to be talking about today, is still a a UK production. It's kind of what put him on the map with the uh, put him on America's radar, David O. Selznick, which I know he had a very difficult relationship with. He even went as far to make a killer look like David O. Selznick, <laughs> which is yeah, that's always a fun uh, a fun idea to to mock your boss by uh by putting something like that in there fuck you uh, i'm gonna put you in one of the best movies of all time but yeah it's this is definitely one of one of his better early films when he starts to get into those like i said other than the lodger i didn't really care for the rest of his silent films and then it's not till you get more to like the man who knew too much the 39 steps um stuff like that that it's like oh, okay like this is like he's starting to like really figure out the style that he wants to go for again, uh, especially with something like the 39 steps, one of his favorite tropes, which is the man wrongfully accused, uh, which even is almost essentially what the plot of the lodger is. I mean, that's that the whole movie is everyone thinks the, the main character of the lodger at this uh, boarding house is a serial killer. And, you know, then they go to the public tries to lynch him in the streets. Uh, but then, turns out that he's not so you know one of his most i i would say that probably is the basis plot for i feel like i mean at he least even has a movie called the wrong man like yeah. it doesn't get more to the point than that that's, yeah that's 100 uh definitely his favorite his favorite story idea and I, and I feel like that was the one that he was constantly trying to perfect and do really great and i think he does I, I think he almost does do it like the peak is probably North by Northwest. That's one. Yeah, of the that's best. what I was thinking. That's like the best version that does feel like he worked his entire career to get to North by Northwest, like to finally achieve. Like, he only likes yes. he I mean, it's not 
perfect in a sense of like I think the character's biggest mistake in that movie is that he lost his wallet. Like that's the one thing that had to happen to make it work. Yeah. But oh uh, yeah, it is a like that is the trope that is the most interesting out of all of his work, I would say. Yeah, which which is is and I know he talks about this a little bit with like his interviews with Truffaut uh in the book that it seemed like largely I don't know, like he had like some sort of weird like guilt complex. I know they like talk about that a lot and Truffaut asks him about like why is that like one of your favorite subjects? Like why do you keep going back to that? Why do you why do you keep wanting to do that? And it's like it's like, yeah, the man wrongfully accused, but it almost just feels like that's where it's coming from. Like somewhere in his mind he thinks that he's wasn't guilty. He arre- wasn't he tells that story that his like dad had the police like put him in jail. I think it was like his mom or something. Or something. But like, yeah. yeah, he went down to the police overnight. station with a note, and he was there. Yeah, yeah, that's why he doesn't trust the police. I don't know. Yeah, so it's like it. It definitely is like like that does seem like that's his biggest fear throughout life is that yeah the like police. one day he would wake up and the police would accuse him of being a killer or something like that and he would have to fight to prove his innocence so it's just like it's just like a recurring nightmare for him or something like that. and you don't really see that movie too often anymore Uh, it's weird i kind of like the it's more than the fish out of the water it's more than you're out of your element there's something really cool about a character that is mistakenly thrown into a situation and then how they're how they handle it it'll always be fascinating it's always the best way to tell a story it's like a step above just a character that's new to the situation. Like how many times have we watched something where the newest character or the protagonist that we're following is just like doesn't know anything about anything. So, you know, whatever the movie is, it could be X-Men, you know, oh, this person doesn't know who the X-Men is. So we're going to explain the X-Men to them. And I'm sorry I'm talking about the X-Men on the Hitchcock <laughs> episode, but it happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then in this film, uh, I feel like I guess the the best way to describe like the overarching plot of this film is uh, a character that uh, is unsure of their own their own sanity or is uh, not sure if what they're seeing is is real or fake, which is uh, that's something that, that we'll be talking about in <laughs> gaslighting. Yeah. Gaslighting, essentially, in this film. But uh, I, I, w- I won't say what all our films are this month, but. We essentially get into that kind of plot with two of our two of our other films, a character that doesn't know if they can trust what they're seeing or uh, what's real and what's fantasy in their mind. What's what are they making up? What are they what can they believe out of their own their own sight? Um, I mean, this movie, The Lady Vanishes, is about a lady, that a woman that vanishes. Up. That's it. There was a lady, and then at one point there wasn't a lady, and the main lady gets gaslighted into maybe thinking that she was seeing things, and that old lady wasn't a real lady at all. Yeah, this is de- <laughs> this is definitely a fun one to to rewatch to try to pick up all the little the little points where where you're trying to see who could have seen this person, where did they interact. Um, because when we start out, there's a there's a big uh, avalanche that causes everyone to be stuck at this little hotel in in the mountains, uh, and that's where we're. Uh, he does a good job. I love the way he sets up all these characters right off the bat. We get to see who all these people are. It doesn't go straight into the plot. Like we get the 
we get the two English uh, friends, uh, the same characters from Dead of Night, because uh, again, they're just like a comedy team that always works together, I guess, uh, who care about nothing but cricket. Uh, you know, we're introduced to the the woman, the the lady that's going <laughs> to vanish lady. later on, uh, and her interaction with the other young woman who's trying to go home to her fiance, and then we get uh, uh, we get the music music study a student or musicologist, I guess, to describe him, who's like just. I don't know. That's what, <laughs> I just he's like, like, he's like instead like, of a musician, he's a musicologist. I mean, that is. He says he's studying music. He says he wants to study the music of uh, their homeland or something like that. He's writing a book. He's not. Uh, he's not They're speaking Bandrikian, or that's what it said in the subtitles. I don't know if that's a real place. Is it? I don't know. You know, you'll love this too. When I watched it, I watched my Blu-ray disc from Criterion. And yeah. it was like that staticky gibberish kind of like digitalized look whenever I put it in the menu. I watched the movie up to like the hour 20 point where it froze. It's one of the discs that have a problem with it. So they're replacing it. But I was able to watch the end of it again on the Criterion channel. Yeah, it's on HBO Max. I think they have a ton of... HBO Max has a lot of Criterion. Crossover. yeah. They, they, whatever deal they've worked out. Hey, uh, I'm excited to see uh, Drive My Car, which will be out on March 2nd. So, tomorrow for us recording, and it's already out for you listening. And I saw that that was another one that was marked as Criterion. So, I, I love how things get revealed before they reveal them. <laughs> like Inland Empire, I think, is another one that's definitely coming. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, but, uh, uh, the uh, if you search if you search Bandrican, the lady vanishes is the first thing that comes up, which makes me think it's fake. It's, it's probably fake. I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, yeah, we get the. Uh, I feel like that character. That this is just a common trait. I think among movies that were made in that time period uh, in the 30s and 40s, or uh, I. I just don't know. It's just a, it's just a thing where they haven't aged well, that they have like these male characters that I don't know by any standard of today are just like the biggest assholes on the planet. But I don't know. Back in the 30s yeah. and 40s, you're supposed to be like, oh, that that scamp. He just uh, he's he just, just likes a, her. He just likes her. She's going to fall in love with him like that was uh, uh, in the one uh, Joseph von Sternberg collection, the one with uh the Marlene Dietrich films in it. Yeah. The one where she's a, a secret agent has the same exact problem of the guy that's supposed to be like the, the counter spy to her is like, just like a terrible person. And he just seems like the biggest jerk in the world. But in the end of the movie, she sacrifices herself to get uh, killed for him. And I'm just like, she sacrifices herself to get killed for that guy. Like, he <laughs> yeah. seemed like a jerk. Like he didn't seem like a good person at all. Like, I don't know why that's like the, uh, it's the same problem we have with Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Like, I think that movie's kind of funny. It's, it's again, it's one of Hitchcock's like only other like all out comedies. But it's I the mean, same problem. There's a lot of, of comedy in this terrible. one. I, there is a lot of comedy in this one, but uh, like even the beginning of the uh, the Mr. and Mrs. and the Mrs. is in quotation marks because it's the mistress. Yeah. And the That's... two guys in this, I don't remember what their names are. 
they're the they're definitely like a comic relief. They're very weird. It's like um I think they're two really good friends or a gay couple. I'm not hundred percent certain on that. This feel yeah, this feels like this it was this film was made in a time where you couldn't say something like that. They just have to be like they're lifelong bachelors who just live together and sleep always in the hang same out bed. together and yeah. But yeah, that's that that provides a lot of good moments of the uh they're the last ones to to get a room because they're like the only ones that don't speak the language, which again is another is another good play on uh, they're supposed to be like the rude Englishman, which in I guess in later years has been replaced by the rude American. But back in the thirties, it was still like it was they were considered the rude ones that that oh those those Englishmen who don't care about anything but themselves or so. And he's and they're presented multiple times in this film as just being like jerks to everyone around them that like doesn't speak their language. They're always like there's like oh these savages that don't speak our language like they think they're better than everyone else. Uh, but I do love when they. They're the last ones to know they need to get a room, so they get put in the maids' quarters, and they don't, they can't speak with her at all. And they're like, they're like, no, you dress out there. And she's just like, okay, and just starts undressing. And they're like, like I guess we're gonna go stand in the hallway. Also, also, <laughs> you made me think uh, when they walk in the room later, and the one guy doesn't have a shirt on and she walks in and he like leans over and covers his chest, like, like he's like, don't let her see you like that. It is so weird, like. Like, I'm like it's kind of odd too because it's odd too because they're not the protagonists but they are easily the most featured characters in the, like the yeah. first 20 minutes of the movie again that's like i feel like they're uh well they're they're also i guess like like you were saying they're they're the good characters to like have to explain everything to because they're supposed to be the ignorant british people that don't know anything so like they're the characters that everyone has to explain something to that to tell them what's going on. So it's it is that that way of getting you the information is they're supposed to be uh, not the not intelligent or not educated on these kind of things. But uh, but yeah, they, I I feel like yeah they're they're the kind of people that they they got cast in this movie probably. I, I don't even know that Hitchcock even would care about them being in. I feel like it was a studio thing of like no, you had to have the this great comedy duo that sells tickets because people want to go see a movie with these two in it. I also like in his movies, I don't know necessarily if it's an actual tradition such as when that guy's outside singing and the woman ends up throwing him a coin. Knowing what we know at the end of the movie, it might mean something different, but it looked like a tip, you know? And I was like, does food people just toss tips out in the middle of the night and these people have to fucking find them? Probably. Seems like a thing. But uh, that is a good moment, too, where the old lady just wants to hear this guy sing. And he's a terrible singer, in my opinion. <laughs> and then he gets, <laughs> I like the slow-mo killer where he gets, like, choked out, yeah. where the hands just come up really slow and they just kill him. He tosses it's a beautiful the coin. It just lands to nobody. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of comedy like that th throughout. I, it, there's some weird things too that I uh, like. It, this movie is also extremely British, is the best way that I can put it, and not the SNL context of you can't understand them. <laughs> but there's moments where where they're like, "What time is it? It's three o'clock. It's tea time." Everyone's going to be in the main cabin having tea, and they all were. Yeah. 
Oh, only the British people. That, that's, how, Br- that's how he phrases yeah. it is, is, well, who's, who's going to be up there? Well, surely the British, <laughs> all the British passengers. And that is who that's, that is the only people that are in the, that are in the car is all the British passengers. Also the moment too, where the main character goes with the older woman, the lady, the yeah. one that vanishes that lady to the food cart and the, you know, the comic relief people were there too. And I, I can't remember what he's describing, cricket or something. He's describing how you play cricket with the sugar cubes, yeah. Yeah, with the sugar cubes. And I don't know if it's the time of COVID, but I thought it was kind of gross, too, that, that like, sir, can you please pass the sugar cubes? And they pick and them all up off the dirty-ass table. Them, yeah. There you go. You can have them, just, lady. Just pass them over to him, yeah. <sighs> That's the lady vanishes. That's pretty much all of it. She That's writes everything. her name That's in the... the all the key points this yeah this movie does like i I love the way it lays out all those little breadcrumbs for you to pick up and it just keeps going like uh you know first when they after they leave which uh you know to start out the someone tries to kill the lady by pushing a flower pot on her head uh while they're getting their luggage and the uh the other woman like steps in the way and gets gets hit on the head instead which then, like protagonist. that, that sets up the idea that she's, you know, she got hit on the head. She just doesn't remember things. Uh, but then they keep going with, uh, you know, she trips into that the the married man with his mistress. She trips into their their luggage cart. So it's like, okay, that's one person that saw them saw her for sure. Then they, you know, they interact with the the two British guys in the in the car and borrow the sugar. So those guys have seen them, and she writes her name on the window. And she specifically gave her her special tea that she loves that a million Mexicans drink. Uh, and she specifically has that made. So it's like they keep just laying all these little elements. Uh, and then every single time it get like something gets refuted and it's just like and everyone has a reason why. Like the the guy with his mistress is he doesn't want to get involved because then people start asking questions about him. He's a he's a lawyer, but he wants to be a judge and he can't have a divorce on his uh on his record if he wants to be a judge and the british guys are just obsessed with getting to their cricket match so anything that could possibly delay the train they're just like they don't want to be involved in it either yeah everything that they say is if if they start invest if they think somebody's missing they're going to stop the train yeah. to look for them which yeah i do love the uh the, their back and forth is fun too at, at times when it's like uh the older guys like like well you know what if what if she did go missing and the younger guy's like, I mean, it does look like she went missing. And they're like, well, yeah, I know she went missing, but you know, <laughs> we can't we can't have this train stopping. And then when they when they do eventually find her, it's like it's like, oh, see, I told you it was nothing. Yeah, or like, it, I mean, she does get gaslighted right off the bat or they go back to their cabin and all the are they Russians. They're like, hmm. Nah, I don't think that, they're not the Russians. Way. They're whatever that fake country supposed to be. That they're like, because I feel like they they definitely were going out of their way to try to not offend, like some actual country. So like they use like fake countries for all this. Now, see, for those people, I think that they it did say they were speaking Russian, like Maybe. they were only speaking the fake language at the at the hotel. Could be. I don't know. I might not even be right. Yeah, there's all sorts of, but yeah, it's all sorts of stuff going on. There's a one guy's a magician. He's got his disappearing act. Uh, he, yeah, there's that 
the the doctor then gets on the train which he's he's got his own theories about what's going on and I don't, the way it keeps going and the way they keep going back and forth you're trying to figure out who's with who uh you know here's the receipt from your tea time see tea for one like you definitely didn't have tea with this woman <laughs> she's like she's like god damn i must be i must be imagining things but the best i think is when they they present that other lady and they're just like is this uh is this the lady you're with and she's like no and they're like like i don't even know who that lady is and they're like i'm pretty sure this is the lady you're with <laughs> everyone's like yeah yeah that's the lady you walked around with i 100 percent saw her I do like how everything isn't necessarily conspiracy theory as to why everyone's agreeing there was no lady. How you yeah. said earlier, some people's personal motives just were like, nah, I didn't see a lady. Yeah, everyone, everyone's just got their own reason. They, they've all got something going on that uh, the, the reasoning for why they why they imagined or want to say they didn't see her. Yeah, I don't know. Like Hitchcock has some weird style, and I think it's sort of a another British thing. Something weird about the style of when he brings violence into a movie, such as the the flower plot pot that you were talking about that they drop on the head. Like it's so weird the way that they show the person just like casually pushing it off the ledge. And another one is guns. I don't know why British people fire guns like they've never held guns in their entire <laughs> lives. When we have our shootout and the guy's like shooting through the window, he looks so uncomfortable. Although I'm sure they, I feel like they handed him a real gun. Cause he's like, I don't know, just something awkward about it. Like I don't, the I mean, aim I know, uh, with, the, with the shoulder really close down to their side. And I know in a lot of those old movies, like that's, that's one of the things they, they say is like that the, until they they hadn't invented blanks up until like a certain time or whatever so a lot of those a lot of those old movies like the james cagney films they actually are shooting guns but obviously they just film it in a way that they're shooting the they're shooting the one character shooting the guns at nothing so that they are actually shooting real bullets uh and then just uh framing it around that so i mean yeah for all i know they are actually shooting real, real guns at like targets outside the train hmm yeah well, I, I looked it up real quick. They were invented in 1886, so it's like when were they started to be used for the for movies? Yeah, that's the real question. Because that doesn't help. But the guy gen generally looks scared for genuinely looks scared for having to use a gun. I mean, the British aren't allowed to have guns either. So, but I don't know. Again, I don't know when that law, like was invented or when that first came into uh to pass but they don't let them uh they can't own handguns so could be could be something that they weren't used to oh man it's hard to find this is the kind of research that we just run into the episode right on the well i right i thought it would be a, a little yeah, I figured it would be easier, but everything keeps going back to like the 1850s, and I'm like, mm. <laughs> and then, and then people are like, I think it's all from rust and that accidental shooting that happened a couple months ago. Everyone's asking more about like, why are they using them on sets? Oh yeah, but that's a conversation for another time. That's not the Hitchcock episode. Yeah.
Yeah. Hitchcock's about uh, suspense, not violence. Yeah, all about all about that terror. Uh, they, <laughs> uh, the other the other great moment uh, that I think about when I see this movie, I think about that Magnum PI uh, meme where he shoots the he shoots oh, the, the nun, nun off the ladder. Yeah. That's like nuns don't work on Sunday, and I, it's because it's in this film where it's like nuns don't wear high heels, do they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they discover. Uh, when they discover the the nun that's supposedly with the with the patient that's been in like a car accident or something like that, and her face is all burned off. So like, that, I feel that if evidence. Hitchcock watched Magnum PI, he'd be so jealous that he didn't have it written be like, that way. He like, yeah, he's like, oh, should have put it, should have said it on a Sunday. Nuns don't work on Sunday, but yeah, I, I, I think mean, that, yeah, nuns are still nuns on Sunday, but yeah, that yeah. is a, a hilarious meme. It's a great just meme shoots her off yeah. the ladder. That's that's just what I think about when I've seen this movie is is the they're like, well, that nun seems uh, that nun seems pretty normal. And then it's just like, really, do nuns wear high heels? And he like sticks his head back and he's like, he's like, you're right. She can't be a nun. <laughs> but yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it's how his they... humor kind of grew. I mean, I I wouldn't even say this is the peak, but this is getting closer to the beginning of the Hitchcock. We all know and love maybe yeah. a little bit stronger in the uh a couple of years later in the 40s yeah i mean i think this is uh, like i said this is probably i think his best it's his best british movie because this was uh this was his next to last one before before coming to hollywood uh, hey we did fuck up slightly this is episode 239 just letting you know could have done the 39 steps which is another I do I do really enjoy that movie and I enjoy uh, the man who knew too much I think those are his three strongest out of all of his British films uh, some of the other ones here and there are pretty decent like I thought Young and Innocence uh, not bad uh, he has that one that's the adaptation of uh, Secret Agent but then he did a film called Secret Agent that's not based on that book but then his next film Sabotage is based on the book Secret Agent. Which makes it like and then he does so saboteur. Then he does saboteur <laughs> later on because he can like he loves to just keep reusing things like that. Um, but yeah, that, then the weirdest thing uh, I feel like is he made these really good movies. He had like a good run there of like really solid British films. Where yeah, I feel like he was really establishing you know doing the the suspense style that he was going to be known for, and then randomly does Jamaica in as his last <laughs> British film, and that's like that is really like one of his worst films like which is again it's just weird that it's like right in the middle of these really great films and then he goes to hollywood and does like rebecca and stuff that's really good and i'm just like jamaica in just comes out of nowhere is like such a terrible film yeah i think rebecca's 1940 so i think yeah. that's sort of like it's where the... he gets on the map for us for the americans yeah i remember him the best from 1940 that was yeah, the best moment time of my life like everything stands out then yeah but yeah that's because yeah then he does rebecca and then he does foreign correspondent which i i thought that was a great movie i'd never watched that until i bought the criterion and i thought that was a really really fantastic film the suspicion saboteur shadow of a doubt like he goes on a run but yeah just i I don't know what happens foreign correspondent uh, that was the one that i saw the for the first time on tcm and i just thought it was like just gonna be like a throwaway movie you know yeah, and I, it wasn't. I, I really like that. There's a lot of good stuff in in that. But again, 
we kind of talked about it last time. Like Hitchcock is one that we, we would have to dedicate just an entire year if we wanted to talk about every single one of his, uh, his films. It was hard to limit to, to how many we're even doing this month, but that, yeah, that's, I feel that's like that's the case one. for a lot of our directors, except Kubrick that we just finished up. We've already done a few of his films, but he doesn't have a lot overall. Like we could probably finish him off with one more month if we really yeah. wanted to. Because I mean, yeah, well, yeah, we've already done a few, a few other ones to begin with before we even. I think like there's probably only four left for us to talk about. Yeah, especially big ones, particularly not even going back to like all of his early films or something like that. Um, but yeah. Well, how about this? Uh, Hitchcock is in every single one of his movies. Where is he in this movie, Chuck? He's at the very end. He's just a random passenger walking by. And he fixes this later in his career where he said that people were looking for him too often. Yeah, so he always and he did didn't want to distract him from the movie, minutes. so he brought it on, brought it earlier into the the film yeah. as early as he could. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's what he said. He always tried to do it within like the first 10 minutes of his film just to, yeah, just so people wouldn't be wouldn't be trying to focus, which I, I mean, again, that does make sense considering, you know, especially in a film like this where this is still early on enough that probably there weren't like everyone sitting there like looking for it like a Stan Lee cameo or something like that. But um, it has all those how, small moments how do you think that word travels that people know that that's there. Just a, an article where some, where people realize that he's in it. I don't know. Yeah, especially in that time period when it like that long ago, when most people probably couldn't even tell you what a director looked like for for just like a standard director. I'm sure there was like some bigger names that people would people would recognize. Even today, like I feel like there's a, there's plenty of directors that I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen his films. But if you show me a picture of him, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's what that guy looks like. Well, that's like, maybe you saw it too. I won't spoil anything from it, but I, I think it's a great show. The Righteous Gemstones. Yeah. And Jody Hill, he keeps popping up in his own show. Yeah, Levi. And it's like, yeah, if you didn't know, you know? If you I didn't the, know, you I know. I think the first, yeah, I think when he when he popped up in, in season one, because, I, yeah, I think the same thing. Like, I didn't, I didn't know that's who he was because, like, I just never really paid attention or, like, would have had any reason to like look up it's probably the same with david gordon green if you showed me a picture of him i wouldn't know i wouldn't be like oh yeah i know that guy david gordon green um but it's just funny that yeah when they first when i first saw it and it was like yeah the guy that played levi that's jody hill i'm like oh and then i, I like thought about his movies and i'm like i don't know why that his face looks like the the kind of guy that would direct these type of movies <laughs> that would come up with these goofy ideas exactly uh, he doesn't have, like, what does a director look like? I don't really know if there's any directors that have that Hitchcockian. Nobody looks like Hitchcock, really, anymore. No, no, yeah, no one, no one goes to set in, like, three-piece suits to, to direct Sam anymore. Raimi. I felt like he's the last. Yeah. I remember At him most... being interviewed for, I think it might have been around the time Spider-Man 3 came out. And he said that he always wears a suit to set because it's a professional job. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, I feel, I, well, you know what? I would say I've probably seen Christopher Nolan in like in like images. Like he's he's wearing like like maybe not always super fancy, but I feel like he's yeah. At least he's got like, like a, the lazy dress up. It's yeah. like a suit jacket. He's 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 uh he's cat. He's a little bit casual. He's dressed up casual. 
I mean, I get. Do you think that he is? I mean, obviously, it's kind of hard to judge the past and the present. But does Christopher Nolan feel like the modern day Hitchcock? Besides him being British, he he is like he does have at least everyone's attracted to the name. The name yeah. sells these movies. He really likes to to try new things. Like he he kind of does the same thing Hitchcock does, where he it's not just always new things, but he keeps tackling the same themes over yeah, and over and over again he does like that ah, that's i don't know that's a, yeah that's a little more difficult in trying to pinpoint who i would say is like the, the would remind me the most of him like i know uh like the the one that i think always gets the most associated with him is brian de palma because brian de palma has just flat out like shot for shot like copied a lot of things from from Hitchcock and I, and he's like, he's not like shy about saying like that Hitchcock's like his favorite director of all time. And he yeah, loves actually, everything. Actually, I can, I see does. that in his work, even his bad movies. It, they're very, he, he loves it. Yeah. Like body double is basically rear window. Um, psycho is basically uh dress to kill. Like he, he, he just like <laughs> raising shot King. for shot. Yeah. He, he like, he just 100% like lifts things from Hitchcock, like, and doesn't even really try to hide that he's doing that half the time. So, uh, he's definitely or there's like that... Hitchcock's like the name though that gets thrown out all the time. I I remember when Sixth Sense came out and everyone was like, yeah, "This M Night Shyamalan guy, he's the next too, Hitchcock." Is, is yeah, that was that was the description that was given for him. Which, which I don't know that like yeah, the, even that didn't even really fit because like I don't. Hitchcock they were more like Twilight about, Zone movies yeah, or something. Hitchcock wasn't all about necessarily like big major twists. Like I mean, a lot of his films end in kind of like some kind of shocking moment but it wasn't like uh it wasn't like a twist that makes you completely go like like oh reevaluate like the entire film you've seen it's just like a big shocking moment in fairness though i do feel that maybe his most hitchcockian movie is the six the sixth sense because there's an idea of like what is happening and there's something with m night Shyamalan where he does everything very sim- simplistic. Like, I know the color red is associated with anything that the dead touch. Yeah. And that sounds like a Hitchcock thing. All to, You know, color is very important. Color is always used in similar yeah. ways to the, like and that, that. And yeah, obviously, like M. Night Shyamalan, especially, especially early on, but even more recently, too, is like, I feel like that's like a, I don't know, just like a misconception. Like, people people say like Hitchcock's the master of suspense and that somehow gets conflated with like master of horror, even though he really didn't do horror only in like a handful of things like psycho. The birds is a little bit more leaning towards a horror premise than necessarily suspense, but like his films largely are more, more like just intense thrillers. They're not. Yeah. That's what I agree with you. I, I think the number one horror film would probably be the birds. Yeah, because even Psycho, which is maybe his biggest movie in the horror genre, because it does fit into the slasher genre, it really feels like every other Hitchcock movie for a huge amount of time of that movie. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But the birds doesn't. The birds feels like birds is one hundred percent like a horror. a horror premise. Yeah. 
There's not. It's there's like, not the, like a, well, Night of the Living Dead. They're yeah. pretty much a similar premise. Those two movies. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's where I feel like that was like a weird thing of yeah, someone like M Night Shyamalan got compared a lot, even though again, like I said, he he leaned more towards that like all out horror. Although in the yeah, the Sixth Sense is probably his most suspenseful one, I guess. Like and then he started doing like Lady in the Water and obviously getting Old. into sci-fi and yeah, getting into some other weird stuff uh, that he would go with later on. But yeah, other than that, I, I don't know. May, yeah, maybe maybe you're hitting it a little bit with like Nolan as being like a little bit Hitchcockian in some of his stuff. Uh, following, I feel like it feels like the most Hitchcock of his of his movies. It's his first one, but that's that one almost feels like the most like I could see that being a Hitchcock premise of that film. <laughs> What's his North by Northwest? Is it? Is it Tenant? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's one of his roughest films. I, I, it hasn't won me over yet. Yeah, maybe maybe after you watch the Batman, you'll you'll reevaluate it. You'll you'll think more about robert patinson and you'll get more into it <laughs> that's it that's all that'll unlock my feelings towards it's, it's all you need yeah it's the same backwards as it is forward i'm like no which by the way if you go find our tenant episode uh we the that is what happens in our episode <laughs> it hits a point where when you hit looks like the middle the whole rest of the episode is just what we already said backwards i'm very proud of it it's very simple <laughs> that's that's it that's it's one of the it's one of the highlights of my life and of podcasting that and i am i'm very fond of very old on the old podcast i did an april fool's joke that was uh for the love of porn and we just started off like yeah porn it's important it's it's actually a part of film it's people don't like to talk about it and i just played like 70s you know, funk arm, like it just, it was great. Just like an hour and a half of that. I'm just reminiscing of, about the podcast, yeah, Chuck. I don't some, know what you some, want. Some good stuff going on. There I'm just trying to give the before. people what they want. The people listening. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I just looked up cause I was, I was trying to think like if there was anything else I can think of, uh, that's more like a, like a modern day Hitchcock thing. And uh, one of the one of the things I saw that someone had posted was uh, Shutter Island as being a feeling like a Hitchcock feeling. And I guess like maybe if I was looking at every Scorsese film, that's the one that maybe has that most reminiscent feeling. That's definitely uh, definitely plays on that idea of is this real? Is this imagined uh, a character losing their mind and essentially being lied to for the entire film? Yeah, I mean, it's a good I think that's a good one without it coming down to this is the plot of that Alfred Hitchcock movie, which yeah. happens way too much. It feels like, yeah, it feels like just a good tribute. It's, it's set in the, the forties. So it had, it's set in like the prime of a lot of those early Hitchcock films, uh, when he was coming to Hollywood. I'm uh, trying to think of the one, uh, Shia LaBeouf did Disturbia, which was basically oh, rear window. Yeah, yeah. That was like a, a modern, modern version of that. That, that, that I feel keep, like maybe that is that, happening. that's that's probably his most that yeah I guess I feel like that's like his most reused plot is you know character thinks they see I mean that's basically um 
they, we've had, we've had yeah I was, I was i'm thinking of like all those ones we've had lately like uh, uh i think that's girl on the train feels like yeah. uh feels like a, an update of uh, like the lady vanishes type plot um and what was the girl in the window is that the one with amy adams where yeah. she like can see across the across the street into the other person's apartment like that's another update of yeah that might be the last one that i watched that i felt yeah. had that strong rear window feel yeah, to it that you're that you're getting those vibes from um which were at the point that like they just parodied the, that, that on i think netflix it, like has that it's another one with like those netflix. goofy no but the parody that's on it oh that's like I, that's what i meant i meant the parody okay. and and i think the amy adams one are on and there, yeah. actually when i was working on archive 81 i saw that there was um i'm gonna confuse them yeah. But it was like the woman in the window or the woman in the house or something. And then the woman in the window came out. The one with Amy Adams came out. And I'm like, what the fuck are they making that has like the exact same title? And I think that's that <laughs> that Kristen Bell one that just came yeah, out. Yeah, that is like, uh, that like had the... The ridic- It didn't have that ridiculous title. It just had the yeah. beginning of it. And I'm like, how lazy are these people getting? The girl the in the window that was on the train. It, it feels like the... Uh... What they they made that one that that came out when I think I think we were at Hollywood. Don't be Video a still. To South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. No, well, I mean that's one of them, but I was thinking the one that's like uh, uh, the forty year old virgin that fell in love with Beth Cooper and forgot about Sarah Marshall, and it was like it had that super long. It was another one of those bad ones, and he felt super bad about it. That's like how the the title ended on that one. <laughs> the woman across the street from the girl in the window. Yeah. Yes, that, yeah, uh, I have another one that's like Shriek if you know what I did last Friday the 13th. Oh, like, yeah. I, yeah. I remember that one, though. I mean, yeah, is that's... it really going to be a good movie if the title's not extremely long? Yeah. If it doesn't I want an extremely long title like that, that for a serious movie. It's always yeah. the comedies. If it has they to think tell you funny. The, uh, the five movies that it's parodying in the title, <laughs> yeah. just in case you couldn't pick up on that as you were watching it, that it was parodying those films. I liked when they were simpler, you know? Uh, scary movie, and then they did date Superhero movie and movie. epic movie. Yeah, like they were just—they didn't even care. They just—they just were so general with their. With their they didn't even have to be it. funny anymore. They just had to slightly parody everything. Yeah, yeah. The when the, when they got to the point where it was just like, here's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and here's Pirates of the Caribbean, and here's Harry Potter, and it's just all in one movie. Yeah. Um, See, the costume looks good, right? Yeah. And I think probably just because it's because uh, it feels related to it too. I feel like uh, we we brought David Fincher up in in our Kubrick episode, what? but I feel like he's I feel like he has he definitely has Hitchcock vibes to a lot of his films too. Like even Gone Girl kind of makes me think of <laughs> Panic Room. You know, a Panic Room I feel like would be a that that almost does feel like something that could be a, a Hitchcock plot, but like something like Gone Girl that he takes, which. You know, it was like the husband falsely accused because his wife set him up because he was a terrible, terrible husband. And <laughs> hey, then we're in a movie. Yeah. I love that movie, though. It I, is a, that, I, I love it. That movie. twist, even I read the book, so I knew it was coming. Every time I watch it, like, it's David great. Venture nailed it. It gives me goosebumps every time I watch it, even though yeah. I know 100% what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I Grade A filmmaking, Mr. Fincher. So, yeah, I don't know. He's like, he's like one of the other ones that I feel like he definitely he definitely was inspired by hitchcock and watched a lot of his films and got a lot of ideas from it but 
yeah, I, I guess I would say thinking back on it. Yeah. Rear window is definitely, definitely his most imitated idea of just in general of thinking you've seen a crime, which again, uh, almost you could take rear window, uh, blowout, which is Brian De Palma, which is technically a, a remake of blow up, which again, <laughs> feels like blow up is just taking the idea from rear window of a guy thinks he saw a crime in one of his photographs and then just starts feeling that he has to track it down and figure out what happened. So again, getting out, getting into these films that that have borrowed from his, uh, his filmography very heavily. I I think it gets better too along the way, because if you want to compare lady vanishes to rear window, the perspective of rear window is so much better because we're not really 100% sure that we're seeing things like we think we're seeing them. Yeah. Being that Hitchcock shows everything from a distance, so we're getting uh, Jimmy Stewart's point of view, and you do have that mindset of, well, maybe I didn't see maybe I, I didn't see it the way I thought I saw it, yeah. as opposed to Lady and Vanishes, where we clearly all have seen this lady, so... If she's not there, then we're seeing the figment of the main character's imagination or something. <laughs> yeah, and this is a this is a good this is a good train film, but I don't know. I do think I do think he did top himself later with another better train film. Uh, a Strangers on a Train is is a is an amazing movie too, which again then leads to one of the one of the best takes on his, which is throw Mama from the train. Yeah, which is one of the one of the most more I, I want to say like more bizarre. I mean, it is one that literally they they flat out show strangers on a train in that film, and then show the characters being like, "Hey, maybe we could do like uh, maybe we could do like that film that we saw. Like maybe that'd be something we could do. Like so that's that that may be the most overt like reference to his films is that they literally show it in their film and then just copy the plot." <laughs> Unless you get into like the slasher genre, especially Scream, that's really, really honing in on Psycho and talking about Psycho. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I we feel like a little mad sometimes. This is uh, this is the first first Hitchcock film we're talking about, but I do think this just shows that his uh, his influence and his style is certainly very far reaching. That even nowadays they're still making movies that you can literally just say or almost copy and pasted straight from something that he's already done in the past. And I, I feel like part of it too, is because he did keep trying to perfect those same ideas that they stuck so strongly in people's mind of, of, Oh yeah. The guy that like thinks he sees the killer or the guy that's wrongfully accused. It's like, well, he made like 30 of those movies. So I'm sure it stuck with you at some point that that's a good idea. It is kind of weird in that sense that, the painter that keeps painting the same thing. And that's exactly what Hitchcock is. Yeah. I'm going to keep painting the same thing again and again and again until I perfect it. Yeah. And it's weird though, because if you think about something similar ish, but maybe the phenomenon's more interesting with Hitchcock, Shakespeare, everybody goes back to Shakespeare. They keep remaking his movies or redoing his movies. Well, his plays into movies. Yeah maybe one of the most adapted cinematic things of all time is Hitchcock or sorry is Shakespeare. And I feel like Hitchcock kind of falls in pretty close for being just a filmmaker. I mean, he did, he does have that similar idea of what Kubrick had where he would read something. And if like 
only what he remembered from it was what yeah. went into it. Yeah, he enjoyed a part. He enjoyed one thing out of that book and was like, I'm going to base the movie on just that one thing. Yep, I remembered it, so that's all that matters. Yeah. I mean, we did we didn't mention it yet in this episode to even talk about uh yeah, him him doing the same things. Uh he's one of the only directors to ever remake his own film. <laughs> yeah. That he literally just said, "You know what? I like that movie I made. I'm going to make it again and make it better uh in that case, which almost the only other person I can think of doing something like that is kind of sam raimi with evil dead and evil dead 2 because evil dead 2 is essentially just they basically pretend like the first evil dead didn't happen and he just remakes it with a better budget and even better effects than he did in the first one like both films are good but he just looked at him uh, like, didn't didn't uh sissel b demille make both like two yeah, ten, true, commandment ten commandments movies. yeah he did the silent version so yeah he 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 may be the first one since it goes that's going all the way back to the to the silent era he probably did it just a little ahead of uh of um people that him. do their own remakes it's very rare but yeah yeah i always forget we're not that close one. enough because i know like the director that did ringu i think directed the ring too but didn't didn't yeah. do the guy that did the grudge the the japanese did, director did yeah. the grudge did the did the original american grudge film but that's almost like a that, yeah, that's a weirder one in that they were completely coming at it from like a different perspective, like going from one foreign language to a completely different language. So it, it feels like, I guess, different enough in that perspective. Um, but yeah, that's that's such a weird, a weird thing to do. But again, yeah, like we said, almost never, never really happens. Uh, that that strange idea of saying you know, my movie was so good, I could just make it again and no one would even care. They'd still go and see my movie again, even though they've already seen it and they already know how it's going to end. Oh, I got another one. Funny Games. Oh, yeah, that's uh, it's true. I forgot about that one. Yeah, I think it's interesting, though, because I would really like to see, you know, somebody that thought they had a good idea but definitely had a bad film and want to revisit it. Although I don't necessarily think that you know, funny games or the man who knew too much were bad. E even 10 commandments is like, no one really, when they're talking about the 10 commandments, they are talking about the one front with Charlton Heston from the fifties. Yeah. I don't think anyone's like, Oh, the silent error one. They might even, if you get the Blu-ray, ah, we threw the silent error one on there just for fun. Yeah. That's the, that's the, the copy that I have. And I still don't think I've ever, I've ever watched that original version. And again, it's not even because I don't want to, it's just, I never, uh, yeah, I, I've grown up seeing the, the Charlton Heston version so often that I'm just like, why would I even want to watch the old one? Like, I'm just gonna watch the Charlton Heston movie. It's just so long. I only have a couple things like that. It's a wonderful life. I only watched a black and white version and mine <laughs> says mine has two discs and the one disc colorized. I'm like, I don't want to watch the colorized version. I'm curious, but every Christmas I'm like, mm, I'm just going to watch the black and white one again. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know why it is that way. But yeah, I just can't things that you can't get over. Hitchcock, there's a lot in Hitchcock. In Hitchcock's films, I should say. <laughs> there's a lot in that guy. I mean, he was uh, you brought up the trains, large. though. Yeah, he is obsessed. He's obsessed with his trains. He loves his trains, he, his miniatures. 
miniature, the little miniature. The miniatures trains. in this movie were actually pretty good. I, I they, you uh, could tell that they're miniatures, bad. but I did like the ones that were like the very slight moving person. <laughs> I was like, yeah. all right. The uh, the car that's driving, then I'm like, mm, that looks better than anything I could have done. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, maybe they should have had it looked more uh, snowed in than it it was. I don't know. Didn't seem cold enough if the lady who eventually vanishes throws her window wide open to listen to the guy sing. <laughs> I think yeah, I think even the next day when it shows them all leaving, like it looks like a nice sunny day out. Like it doesn't it doesn't look like there was just an avalanche there yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Ah, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Uh, that I think is another and, one and of And my... they've made uh they've made movies about him. Uh, I know the one that was like up for more awards, I think Academy wise was the one with Anthony Hopkins, but Toby Jones yeah. did one made for TV. And from my understanding, he did a more accurate version of Hitchcock. And I think I, for see for one of those, like I've watched all of his films, but I've never seen either of those, <laughs> the, uh, the biopics about him, which, I, uh, is Toby Jones, I think his is more about him and Tippy Hedren, or is that the Hopkins yeah. version? Uh, they kind of, I, I honestly saw them both when they came out at the exact same time. Why that happened, I have no idea. It always <laughs> happens. Uh, I thought that hit, I thought that Anthony Hopkins looked like him, but Anthony Hopkins played him like he was a saint, this legend. Yeah. And Toby Jones, I don't know if Toby Jones captured the Hitchcock mentality very well, but he definitely was like it. <laughs> he was like that creep. And they're like, oh, that's how he actually was. He was kind of a creep. Yeah. I mean, I know he's, uh, and I, I guess a part of this may be just like from the era that it, that it was. Um, but I know Truffaut brings it up in, in the, in the book about, like, is it, is it true, his quote about, like, actors are like cattle, like, you just need them to show up on set and do the job that you pay them for, like, that he didn't really, uh, that he didn't have a lot of sympathy for, for the actors, like, it was more or less like, this is my film, this is my art, you're here to achieve my goals, like, show up and stand on your mark and say the lines like I tell you to say them, like, and, and you know, he gets a little, he gets a little of that uh, same, same questions of his treatment of, of actors as, like, Stanley Kubrick got with, uh, with Shelley Duvall of like, you know, maybe, maybe went a bit too far, especially with Tippy Hedren and the birds. Like it was like actually throwing live birds at her when, uh, <laughs> in that scene. Well, I know that we're on like our third director and no one knows who our fourth director is yet. I don't think that we hinted to that. They're all very the particular. The hint, first someone are... not accused of, uh, of attacking women. Uh, I don't, as far uh, as I'm maybe, aware, maybe by the time that it comes out, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> By the time we get there, maybe. Yeah. I mean, another one that I think of right off the uh, like match point by Woody Allen is very Hitchcockian, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I was yeah. I completely forgot about that. That is that's one hundred percent. Uh. That that's very much like a dilemma for murder. Like thinking you have like the perfect crime that that there's not a single piece of evidence that could that could give you away, and then there's like one little thing that that trips up the entire plot yeah i also like the way that chaos ensues which is very hitchcockian too yeah 
But yeah, there's always that wrench. There's always something that's thrown out there that just unravels the whole thing. Now, with the lady vanishes, uh, it doesn't play with us for too long. And Hitchcock, I think, decides that he wants to play with us longer and longer as each movie goes on. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. And in this, they kind of reveal pretty early on that uh, you're not, you, you can't be crazy. And people start admitting that even to the audience, for example, the guy that was married with his mistress, he said, like, you know, why didn't you tell him? And they have that explanation. So we know right then and there that this woman was real. Like, they validate that the woman was real to the audience. Yeah. But uh, the coolest thing, I I guess, I'll say it is the coolest thing. <laughs> Spoilers is that she was a spy, this old lady. And uh, I kind of like that, that, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. But then the things that we learn about the uh, the code, you know, that they he really loves, and I don't really know if it's the right time, but he loves that, like, Cold War shit. He, yeah. love, he eats it up. Yeah espionage and sabotage and spies and all that stuff <laughs> oh yeah he yeah he definitely enjoys that um he plays another one of uh i don't know if this is if this is like one of the earliest uh times that he does this but he like that that shot that he loves to do of uh like poison in a glass <laughs> yeah. which he loves to do that multiple times and he we have that in this film where the uh the doctor that at this point we know that he's in on the on the plot to to kidnap the woman and he tells the the person dressed as a nun to slip the poison in and he, he has he's like i've got something going on with the waiter he's on our side he'll he'll slip it in and uh you know we get that shot of the the way he frames it so that the glasses look massive on the side of the screen uh the, and we could just see him he just keeps staring at him like come on you gotta drink those and she's like no i'm not thirsty he's like ah oh, come on i'm a doctor i'm telling you, you need to drink those uh, get your spirits up uh, and the backtrack slightly, because uh, maybe we weren't the most clear. The Truffaut interviewed Hitchcock on around his like 63rd birthday or something. And I think he got nine hours of audio. And then they made it into a book called Hitchcock Truffaut. That's, that's what it's called. Yeah, That book is 100% worth checking out. It's definitely worth uh, yeah, your yeah. time. That's, that's, I a, feel that's like a fun one. Hitchcock, I feel like, uh, I, I don't even know if I trust all his answers. Like, he seems like he's playing yeah. a lot. Yeah, he does. He has a lot. Uh, I think the <laughs> one of the funniest things when I was reading, because I, I read the, I had read like probably half of the book before, but then I didn't finish it because I hadn't seen some of these movies. So then last year when I was, uh, when I was watching all these films, I was like, well, I'll just like, I'll read it as like a companion. Like, I'll. Cause they do, they do everything in chronological order. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, just I'll read it as I go along. And I think one of my favorite things, and this happens especially with those early films is like, I'd watch the film and then I'd open the book and he'd be like, he'd ask him something. It'd be like one of those early films. So the farmer's wife and Hitchcock would be like, it's terrible. And he's like, <laughs> and Trefo would just be like, okay, moving on. And I'd be like, all right, guess I'm done with the book for the night. <laughs> guess, yeah. I guess I'll have to wait and see what the next film, if he has that, a little bit more to say about that. A lot. Yeah, I mean, he like does that. talk generally about suspense, which I think is good. The master of suspense. 
Alfred Hitchcock. And the way that he he describes it is he finds suspense to be much more exciting than surprise. And the difference, like, cinematically would be, you know, a, I think his exact example is a bomb underneath the table. And if you know that there's a bomb under the audience sees this bomb under the table, then the suspense goes through the roof because we're just waiting for this thing to go off, which is literally taken in touch of evil, which we discussed. Yeah. Um, and surprise would be, we have no idea that there's a bomb under the table and it goes off while people are in the middle of a conversation, yeah. which I still and feel like said, all, all the way to today is still like there's still a lot of directors that that think surprise is the same as suspense, and and surprise too. He he says it's effective, but it's only effective once. Yeah, and and that's that. It's only like, it's only effective, and it's a it's a more of a short short effect. Whereas the suspense, you can build the suspense for like 10, 20, 20 minutes, half an hour, like as long <laughs> as you just know that 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 that's that thing sitting there your whole movie could be just the suspense of i know it's sitting there i'm just waiting for it to happen and i mean a lot of like single location films are exactly that they're exactly the suspense yeah which that's uh, that's another thing that he he did later on in his in his career he continued with things like that uh, uh adding those kind of uh, that's where it almost seems like uh, not even to say that he got bored, but like he really like at some point was just like, I'm going to just challenge myself to to make movies in with these weird constraints that he puts on himself, like something like Lifeboat, where it's the entire film has to take place in this lifeboat. And that's the that's the setting for the entire film is just these characters in this one area or rope where he tried to do the the concept of the single shot, which. Again, by today's standards, we can. It's very clear where he's where he's hiding those cuts. They're very obvious. He's is not, it? He's not the you know when it just randomly has oh, to zoom so in on, on Jimmy Stewart's back every time. Every ten minutes, we have to zoom in on someone's back. Uh, and so now you have movies like Birdman and nineteen seventeen that just wow with their digital trickery. I feel like that would be like if they're uh, of all the wow. things you could show. Alfred Hitchcock, that would be like the one that would blow his mind the most is it in the future. 1917. Yeah, something yeah. like that or Birdman. Like just show him like <laughs> show him even like half an hour of that and he'd be Don't like Don't even explain CG yeah. to him, just be like, Where Look what are they the cuts? <laughs> Where are the cuts? Like acting is so fucking good in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like like I said, I feel like those those would be the things that would like blow his mind more than anything else. But uh yeah, I don't know. He was always he was always like trying to push things forward at least uh, uh again towards towards the end of his career he maybe wasn't at the top of his game with some of his ideas and you know started there there's started. some that are funny like dial m for murder makes me laugh with that big fake hand the, the because phone. they shot it in 3D and the yeah. only way that they could do it was with a regular camera and his only solution was to use, to like have them make up a giant hand he does it he does it in um Spellbound too, the big hand with the gun. He is because he does. He wants control. to do that POV shot, and the only way that he could get it to line up to like look like you're looking straight down the barrel of the gun was to make that giant hand holding a revolver. Yeah, and you know what? I think things today are are hidden a little bit better too. Because, uh, prime example. It's not even today. It's all. It's like almost thirty years old now. 
Is it thirty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of Independence Day, where they blew up all the models of you know famous monuments and stuff or famous yeah. American buildings, and it's really good because it the only thing that's like fake is the the UFOs. The explosions in the building are like very real, and that's why it, it ends up looking so great. And then today they, I don't know, there there's like a middle ground with CG where they don't have it perfected yet. But when they do it, and they do it well, and you can't tell, and it happens more times than you think, I think good old Hitchcock would be blown away. Yeah. Plus, I, I think if you saw the size of cameras too, like, yeah, this is a GoPro. <laughs> they showed him like, uh, yeah, I think I think it'd be if they showed him like an IMAX camera, it'd be like, holy shit. <laughs> um, My camera was the same size as that IMAX camera. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, I think that's the other thing that that maybe, maybe I guess would relate him most to to Nolan too is like that idea of trying to do as much as you can practically because I do feel like, uh, obviously he passed away before we were really getting into computer generated anything. Um, so he never really got to live to see that type of stuff. But I feel like even if he had lived that long, he would have been like, like a Nolan, like, like no, like still like no miniatures and matte paintings. And we don't do anything with those with CGI. Like it's still, you got to do it real. Like that's, that's another thing that, that I feel like Nolan. I mean, I do think that. there are some things closer to his time that would have worked. A example. I think Jurassic Park works very well. Surprisingly age, surprisingly ages very, very well. But a lot of the early CG is ugly, <laughs> you know. If you would have watched Tron, Tron like is a very feel ugly like that's a, film. Feel like that's a movie that would have hurt him, like hurt him personally. Been like, oh, that's what they're doing with film. I mean, even the sequel to Tron almost feels like a remake of Tron. To be like, look, Tron yeah. could actually look good if we made it at the right time. Yeah. I know uh, this was like a random. Uh, like uh, you can be random on our podcast trivia about him uh, but like his daughter said the the last movie that he watched before he passed away and that he really enjoyed was Smokey and the Bandit which <laughs> is just such a weird thing to be like that she was like yeah he really enjoyed that movie he would like screen it at, his, at the house all the time like before he passed away like he really enjoyed Burt Reynolds for some reason <laughs> a lot of people did I mean yeah but it's just uh, I don't know why it just it just seems like such an odd thing that like this old British guy would be like, I like that Burt Reynolds and Smokey and the Bandit. I mean, I don't know if it's because of his daughter, but I think of Martin Scorsese on TikTok or whatever. Instagram. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he like embraces it. I, I do feel like you have to embrace the new a little bit. You can't just totally close off that idea. Yeah. Because Why? Although I really do like the conversation where, like, what's the biggest thing? Film film versus digital. Yeah. And I, I think that they're both, like, very, like it's a very good conversation because you don't want film to die. But you're getting to the point where you can make digital look as original as film did. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's weird. Oh, if we in post, we can just add an effect. You'll never notice a difference. <laughs> and they're accurate. But then you can do digital where it's all way too clean. Yeah, it happens. But uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Um, 
I think I think this is a, a really good basic introduction to him that we've talked about on this episode. So it's I think it's going to be interesting going forward. The stuff that we discuss, we're going to be discussing his favorite movie. We're going to be discussing his greatest movie among cinephiles. I guess is the best way to describe that. Yeah. It's my favorite movie. And somewhat of a surprise. Is it? Yeah. It was it okay. was my it, you know, you should you should try to try to think of yours too. I'll 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 re I know I sent this to you I think when I uh when we when I watched all these films, but I'll I'll list out my my top 10. I'll just okay. give, it to, give it to you. Uh, well, I can't do all fifty of them because that's why I'm saying top ten. Yeah, just just think about what your top ten ten would be. You know, by the next episode, maybe. Uh, I had the Thirty Nine Steps, Notorious, The Man Who Knew Too Much, the remake, Strangers on a Train, Shadow of a Doubt, The Lady Vanishes, North by Northwest, Psycho, Rear Window, Vertigo. I mean, all mine would probably be up there the same. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would assume it wouldn't be too far off. Yeah, I don't really know if there's one that's like... Yeah, I I, 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 I could agree with that, too. You like Frenzy? I know is that frenzy, like one of the things... Frenzy make your top ten? I don't know. I don't think it does. It was. It's number fifteen for me. It was. It was just a little. Cause it's one of my. It's one. It's easily my favorite film of his at the end. Yeah. But I feel like it's. I don't know how to describe it. It's a good thing I we're on a podcast where I have to describe <laughs> things. <laughs> to me, it's like the closest it gets to old school Hitchcock. And he yeah. seems to have a lot of fun in that movie. It's a good like comeback movie, kind of, because he was yeah. On the, he did like three or four that weren't that good, right? And my favorite thing is that he has that uh, he has an aspect to letting people know that something is wrong with this character when they're too close to their mother. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I I actually I actually this is interesting too now that I'm thinking about it. In college, I had a Kubrick class and I had a Hitchcock class. And I remember my the Hitchcock teacher, who oddly looked like Hitchcock. Uh, I'll have to show you a picture. Everyone else that's listening is just going to have to trust me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like, "Do you, does anyone know the four movies where like the mother's pointing out the killer? And I think I was the only one that got frenzy because it was like, it only happens really quick in the beginning of the movie. Where it's just like way odd, but like everybody just overlooks it. It's just such a strange introduction to this character. This is like a grown ass man. You're like, well, that was a weird uh, interaction with that guy. Uh, but it's funny to me too, where like, you know, the <laughs> the person dies and has the rigor mortis, and he can't get the uh, the evidence out of their hand. And he's like the necktie tie killer. Like I don't know. A lot of it. A lot of it. I do like. Uh, top fifteen, maybe, but like definitely almost all the ones that you like. All his like really big ones from like the fifties. Yeah. 
and then Psycho definitely like that's his prime. That he really takes off where maybe like rope on is where he yeah. really really thrives. Like rope through psycho. Yeah, and I, that's not even a knock on the birds or anything like that, but Yeah, there's there's a lot that he has that he has going there. And I, I mean that's the thing. I would say like I I watched all fifty of his movies and some of them aren't good, but I would at least say I probably liked more of them than I hated. And even the ones that I don't like, there's still like a lot of other than a couple of those like really early silent films, there's still like elements in there that it's like, you can see where he was going. Like it just, the execution didn't necessarily land in some of these films, but, um, but he has, he has a lot of good ones that I, that I really like. And that probably is his best. I feel like from maybe a, a comedic aspect aspect, which we won't, we're not going to talk about it this time, but maybe next time is uh, something like The Trouble with Harry. Like, I think that movie is, it's hilarious. It's, it has such a great, like, comedic plot. The two point. guys that are, like, uh, like one-upping each other about how to kill somebody. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a great moment, too. I do love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's not, ter- he's not terrible. Like, family plot, I didn't care for. I kind of like uh, there's moments that I like in family plot. I, I didn't think that I don't I don't put that as like his worst. That was like somewhere close to the middle for me. Um, but like it, it, and Marnie, and Marnie was curtain. like a, Marnie was like a really good idea, but maybe not executed at the yeah. best. Yeah, that that was like that was a tough one. I think Torn Curtains like a weird one in that like I feel like the second half is a good Hitchcock movie. And I feel like the first half's like a terrible setup to a, <laughs> to a good Hitchcock like the the final half when it's like them being chased down and, and then it's like actually building suspense about like, are they going to escape is good. But the whole lead up where it's like the most obvious thing that Paul Newman's like actually a double agent working for the Americans. And you're like, of course he is. He's Paul Newman. Like he's not going to be a bad guy. Like I, I know he's not, I know he's not a villain. Um, and then Topaz, I feel like it's one that I still couldn't tell you what the plot of that film is. It's something to do with, uh, cuba or some other south american country and a dictator and a guy trying Bandrikian. to yeah i don't know that that like that's one that i like i could barely tell you what the plot of that film is and it really shows when you watch it that, that it's hard to tell what the plot of that film is i know he said I mean, later on we're that, not even another one that people might be surprised that we're not going to discuss is psycho yeah and the reviews for that were pretty brutal at the time where they thought that, oh, he just made a disgusting movie just for the sake of making it disgusting. Yeah. And it's like, is he a, is he before his time type of situation? And and maybe he is. I, I don't even 100%. I mean, again, if we're tracing back that, like, that's the original, like, kind of first. It's not. Well, we all not, agree not necessarily it's like Peeping exactly, Tom. Yeah. Well, and which came out around the same time, what, that was a year earlier. Same year, same I think. Same year, even 1960. So the fact that both of those films, and they both basically got the same criticism that they were, that they were like disgusting films, although it's always been like uh, a good, it's, I think it's an accurate comparison to talk about that uh, Peeping Tom was made in England by a British filmmaker. And it seemed like he took a lot more, he took a lot more criticism, like it essentially ended his career as a British filmmaker because of that film, whereas Hitchcock was in Hollywood and he was able to like 
continue on <laughs> makes the movie, birds basically yeah basically no one cared like like it didn't matter that the critics like hated it or or thought well, it was he also did a really like good marketing did. for it too where yeah. he didn't want anyone to be in the movie after it started yeah so he, he had a lot of stuff going for him but it, it, again it's I, I guess that's just a just a good point of even even at that time i feel like he knew that the british film industry like wasn't wasn't where his talents were going to flourish like he knew he had to go to hollywood to to be able to get that freedom to make the films that he wanted to make and get away with a lot more stuff and again like i said it shows that that the british filmmaker who made a i i would even argue that peeping tom i feel like might even be a superior film to psycho and i and i really love psycho but i would say peeping tom is an amazing movie and possibly is even a little bit better uh with some of the stuff that it does uh and again his career ended and like that was more or less like hitchcock's career was like still taking off like he was still making you know it's getting closer to the end of his career but he was able to He's still a- at least have a career after that and keep making films up until he died well i think about it this way too where how you how you brought up earlier he keeps trying to like reinvent the same ideas like he keeps tackling the same ideas the same themes the same stories and he keeps perfecting it perfecting it perfecting it and he knows the formula he knows how structure works and he kind of he plays with it the most during psycho psycho is literally like a plot gets thrown out the fucking window halfway through yeah and it it gets really weird because it really starts breaking conventions from that point on we lost our protagonist. We <laughs> kind of get a new protagonist halfway through. And we don't really learn enough about this killer that's going on. I mean, that's going on with the killer. We don't really learn much about them in that first movie. And then if you look at something like Peeping Tom, that voyeurism aspect that his like we get history to understand why he is the way that he is but it's subtle that it's not nothing like ruins it yeah it's kind of like yeah that makes sense and i can see how this came to be and psycho's like what the fuck happened to this guy yeah i know that's like the biggest criticism of psycho is that like that they had to end the film with the uh like the psychiatrist explaining his whole problem like straight to the audience just for like people the audiences of that time to understand it that like maybe they just wouldn't get the subtleties of of the film up to that point where yeah like i said i think peeping tom maybe maybe handles that a little bit more subtly by by actually just literally just showing you videos of a kid being tortured by his parents like to be like nope that's exactly why he's like he is because uh because of these videos that you're watching right now which again i think uh and that's the same actress that's in Frenzy, I believe. The one that plays the uh, uh, his neighbor. If I'm remembering correctly. Oh yeah, you you might be. Because I think I th- I, think I don't know if you're like, remembering correctly. Uh, I'm I'm gonna yeah, agree yeah. with you on yeah, principle that I like, think that you know what you're talking about. Like 99 percent sure it's the the same girl. Uh, that I'm 98 percent sure. Yeah, I think uh, you think you're right. I think I've said uh, everything I need to say on uh, on this film. Uh, yeah, great, great movie. Um, if if you like music, 
you're going to love this movie. It's full of music. Basically a musical. Starts with singing, ends with piano. If you Ladies like vanish and reappear constantly. If you like music, you may not like, uh, you know, the traditional music of that country on the clarinet, <laughs> but... Uh, I mean, I do like the idea of the train and, and and the mystery. They they do go well together. Mystery goes well with the train. Yeah. Because even like the last train movie we did, Snowpiercer, I'm pretty sure is the last one. You can't get off the train. There's only so much that can happen. So th they can't just throw something under Like they can't get it past the protagonist. The protagonist is going to have to learn what's going on. And uh, that, I think that's one of the better aspects of of the Lady Vanishes. That it has, it's a lot of fun. It has a lot of fun with the audience. I think it's also pretty powerful for 1938 to say, look, if you don't like black and white, if you don't like like your these older films, like this is one of the ones I think that will impress. If you can put that shit aside. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's weird to be like, oh yeah, something from that long ago. We're I mean we're almost getting close to hundred years, right? No way that that movie is gonna stand up, and it does. It really does, and, and so I think that this was a great place to start. Where we go next, I don't know. I mean, I do know we have a schedule, but you don't know. Yeah. This is a this is a good train movie. Uh, I guess I guess maybe I'll, maybe I'll say that's that's my only other spoiler for next month is maybe an even better train movie. Uh, definitely a better train movie. <laughs> Probably my favorite train it's, movie. It's a great train movie. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're Cinema de More. Keep listening. We got more Hitchcock coming for you. More trains for the next. More trains. More Hitchcock. More craziness. Yeah, I, I guess. Yes, definitely. More craziness. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Thanks for listening. We are Cinema de More. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening.